Hello and welcome to Hummingbird, a weekly podcast with April Lee Janes and Jessica Outram. Today's episode is about creativity and business and how do we build an audience for our work. So first, why does our creative work need an audience? And then how can we expand our connections to build community? And then what are some ways that we can learn to better understand our audience? And to do this work, we looked at an article by Jeff Goins on three reasons why your creative work needs an audience. And we both enjoyed reading this article and it really opened up our thinking, at least for me. He talks about why our creative work needs an audience. So put differently, does art exist for art's sake or should our work always be meant for an audience? Is the goal to produce something that fits some sort of need or fulfills an outcome? Or does that actually reduce an artwork's quality? And where does marketing fit into all of this? So I'm so glad we're talking about this today, April, because sometimes I have a physical response to the word marketing, let alone the the business of doing it. So I, I can't wait to learn from you because I know this is an area that you know a lot about. And for me, the focus on the article felt like it was on the artist and and like he's trying to answer that question. Why is nobody paying attention to my art? And before you can take it out there, you have to know that people that it connects with people, right? See, he made three points that we're going to talk about separately, but I don't think they're even linear. Like you, I have spent a lot of time thinking about this article, even over breakfast this morning. I'm eating my breakfast and quickly making more notes here because they're not linear. They're actually interrelated to me. And so that made it a little difficult for them to discuss as separate things. So you're going to see a lot of overflow, I think, as we talk about this from one to the other. He talks about synthesis, And I actually went and looked up a definition for this because I wanted to be sure I was clear on what he was talking about. And I think he's talking about the uniting of different art forms into a bigger thing that that's more that organizes ideas for somebody. And so the idea of artistic synthesis requires or implies the creation of something maybe newer or bigger or slightly different, but it's it's bigger than the sum of the parts that you bring into it. And then he talks about collaboration which is where do we go to get new ideas that we can synthesize or reject? Because sometimes we don't want those ideas. And that requires us to get out and become part of that larger community that he mentions. And he also talks about empathy, which I thought was really interesting in here. And I think this is where the marketing piece comes in. And that's the ability to understand and share the feelings of someone else. And so if we synthesize what the community around us is feeling or looking and reflected in our work, then we can catch our attention, their attention. If we only do it for that, then it becomes spammy and the uncomfortable marketing. But we can do this while still retraining, remaining true to our own personal vision. And I think that's the key here. It's not about separating people from their money in order to buy our artwork. It's about connecting to people with something we say that makes them want to have, see the performance or hear the words or hang the art or whatever it is that we're doing because it speaks to something inside of them. So that's a big introduction to what we're going to talk about. So let's jump in from there. <laughs> okay, so it sounds like this is more of that, the, the big philosophical piece behind what marketing is, more so than those nitty gritty details of how you implement it. Or I, I wonder, are we going to get a little bit of a balance of both as we go through here today? I think so, because I came to it as we got to the end of this. But I don't think you start there. You can't start 
with the idea is this piece marketable. If you start from there, then yeah, it is spammy because now you're only creating art because you know it's going to sell. Okay, I'm going to create all of these pictures of the seaside because I live in the Maritimes and I know all the tourists want pictures of the seaside. That's very different than creating from a place where I love the power of the water and the, the way the light plays on it and how it speaks to me and how it makes me feel. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that relationship that you have with the work. Is it, what is the f- fundamental underlying belief you've got with that? Am I writing this play because I know that people are looking for plays about this particular topic? Or am I writing this play from a heart place that speaks to me and I know other people are going to recognize themselves in my story? Mm-hmm. And that's a different way of promoting. So people will come to that when they see their themselves reflected in it. That is a big piece of this for me. And that's not to say you don't create art just for yourself sometimes. It doesn't always be about the audience. I'm creating this quilt for my of my dad's portrait on a painted quilt. That is only for me. I have no intention of ever selling it. It is strictly for me. So um, it feeds a particular need. And sometimes you are the audience and that's enough, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so how would you, so like, I guess that's how you would then describe your relationship with the work you're creating and the need to share it, that balance between why am I doing this? Is it to feed my own curiosity and need to, to, to create something as opposed to that I'm, I'm fitting this into this particular market and that's where I always got stuck when I was a young writer is, you know, especially, you know, when you first start trying, I'm going to write a novel and you, you take all the workshops and the courses on how to write a novel. And I did, I wrote three, but they're all in a box and they're never going anywhere. They were just good learning opportunities. But where I got stuck each time was all of the, the talk around genre and where does it fit and what category would it be in? And it was way too soon to start putting it there, I needed to follow the path for at the time for what I, it is I with a story that I needed to tell and then later look to see, you know, would there be a market for it? I was, I, I needed to write for myself. And maybe I wonder if that's something that, you know, as young artists as well, that you, a lot of your work in the beginning is just for yourself, just to practice taking things from the inside and putting them on the page and trying to see what you can do around making those, uh, making those connections. So I, I love the books full yeah. of that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Do you? Okay. So that's a normal, a normal part of the process is just kind of starting with where, where you are and what you want. Cause I, I love that creative process. I love seeing the product at the end. Uh, I love, you know, working on a play or a book or even working on this podcast and, you know, it's my time, especially given I don't do this full time and this is something I'm doing in my off hours. Uh, so I just want to create what I want to create. But where I always struggled, and this is where I'm really hoping for today to maybe open this up for myself, is is when it comes time to include the audience into my process, I'm still in the very beginning phases of what what that looks like. Because I want to share the work. I love seeing it through someone else's eyes. It feels wrong to just let something that feels finished to just sit there alone. And and the sharing is a way of, of letting it go, but I don't always know where to put it. Yeah, I love I love what you say about genre. And I'm thinking back to what we talked about in the previous episode about the genealogy, our artistic genealogy. We we follow the um, 
influences that are that we feel speak to us that's maybe a clue to it but it's not necessarily there has to be a time of exploration there has to be a time of learning who you are as a creator whether it's words music dance art you know or visual art i mean i i spent a lot of time writing i've got a lot of pieces in a drawer that I've written. I've got a lot of short stories. I've had some published. I've won awards for some of them. And it was a a path I went down and I loved it. But I realized what I really wanted to do was be painting. I had to go through all those steps and that exploration to figure out what was the medium I wanted to work in. And so having a lot of pieces and sketchbooks and file drawers and things like that, those are, I love what Stephen King says. You write first with the door closed. To me, you just say you create first with the door closed. It has to be for you because you got to understand who you are, what you want to say, how you want people, how you want to feel. And finally, how you want others to feel happens when you open that door. And he talks about the second step, which is creating with the door open, which is the editing process, which we all do. Whether you're a writer or a painter or a dancer, there's an edit that happens to say, Mm -hmm. this works for me, that doesn't say what I want it to say. And so there's that synthesis that we're talking about that this Goins was talking about, where we're looking at what's around us and bringing in the pieces that work for us and create that bigger whole, I think. I love the artist Banksy and the things that he does, you know, the the street art that he creates. Tell me about Banksy. I don't know Banksy. Oh, just Google it. He creates all kinds of street art that have almost a political statement to them. He has something he's trying to say and make people understand. And he uses a little bit of shock to do it sometimes, but he's very secretive. Nobody actually apparently knows who Banksy is. I would love to know what his journey was that got him to there. He has created a story and his brand in marketing terms, which is this gorilla art where he goes in in the dead of night and when people come around in the morning there's an art piece on the wall it's it's always has some statement that he's making and i just find i would like to know his story he has gotten to the point now where he's creating for his audience but he's still very true to himself which is amazing wonderful well i think uh, real case says very similar things right he says you know we need to write in, in letters to a young poet real case says write because you know you need to write because you must write for yourself and he does say that that's the place to start when we start writing for other people it changes what we're saying and i, I yeah. do agree that the revision process is the best place for me anyways to start looking at okay now what could this be and how might it serve others because if i think about the others too soon the whole piece just shuts right down and i i lose all my momentum i start worrying or it goes in a direction i don't think it was ever meant to go in and so that energy shifts in the work to a place where it shouldn't have, it shouldn't have gone I, I don't know about you, but I found when I would do that in my writing, it would turn preachy. And and I really didn't like the sound of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or I write myself into corners more more so than that is I would end up stuck in a in a mess where I'm like, I don't know how I got here. This doesn't feel authentic to the characters. And now what do I do? So with poetry, I find because poetry is shorter, I guess. As poet laureate, I have to write poems for different events. And I always think about the event first, the audience first, and then 
I go back into the the personal and write the poem from there and then go back out to the audience. And it's this continual flow in and out because that is, you know, kind of like a commissioned piece. What I'm noticing is a year later, when I go back into some of those poems that I wrote, I'm changing them and doing quite substantial editing to them. And I wonder, I wonder now if that's because I was thinking of the event first, and maybe this is some learning that I can have as, as poet laureate is maybe I need to start with the personal and then go out and go the other way. And yeah, because that's where I end up bringing the poem back into being personal um, when I rewrite it a year later, because I still there's the nugget (laughs) in there that I want to explore, but it's not quite what I wanted. And I'm trying to, to sort that out. So being in that kind of a role where you're writing poems to help celebrate or remember things with your community really gets me thinking about. Well, it is about... a commission piece. Yeah. And I, and, and I find when, if I paint a piece that's on commission, I have to bring their viewpoint into it, not my own. Mm-hmm. I just bring my skill to it. And that's what they've hired, right? They want you to do something specific for them. They have a vision of what they want. And they're asking you to use your skills because they don't have that particular set of skills. So I think that's a collaboration that happens in that case, which is slightly different. I'm, I'm thinking about our podcast because we said we wanted to bring this back to the podcast and kind of explore these ideas. And if we go to the idea of synthesis, taking two separate things and building something that wasn't there before, that's certainly what we did when we started this and I approached you. I knew we were different times of our lives, different creative arts, different focus on what we were doing and when I approached it, I was just really curious could we create something that was different and bigger in this world of podcasting that might have an interest to other people no idea yet about um, the audience it's growing not growing as fast as we like of course but um, it is growing and I think as we get more focused on who we're actually talking to then that may change but at the beginning, it had to be about what are we creating here? What are we making? I and mean, we did it with kind of with the door closed. We had a different yeah. vision, perhaps at the beginning, and it's getting honed into something bigger, something better. Yeah. yeah, I think so. So shall we go through each of the big ideas then? We've kind of done a bit of an overview of them, but let's let's really dig in. So his first one, he says, to create is to connect. And that is true. I think that's why we create is that he says we long for that feeling that our work has resonated with at least one other person. And that's what good creative work does. And it's not necessarily artistic work. It can be iPads, you know, he didn't, uh, when Steve Jobs was creating those, it wasn't just for himself. He wanted that to connect other people with the idea of connection even. Goyne says, any fool can make a point. The truly creative person makes a connection and that connection leads to other creative interactions. You wanted to look at this from the marketing standpoint. So let me go, let's go down that route. What if, what do you think about that one there? Well, because our the, our show was around how can we build an audience? And when I thought about, you know, why do I create at the end of the day? I create by making connections and I create to make connections, um, to make connections between myself and the work and then to send the work out and to help that to become a connector, a connection to other people. And so that's kind of where, because you could just go in all, all sorts of different places with this. And when we talked about Creative Kent, we really dug into creativity as connection a few episodes back. So 
I looked at this through, okay, if I'm thinking about this from a marketing lens and wow, if I change the word marketing to connection, then I can think about that. Because when I hear marketing, I sometimes think about selling, but if I think about it as connection, it shifts to something less overwhelming to me. So how can I connect this work to people who are interested in it? How can I engage them in these ideas? And is this something that I can do to create that community and would that work on social media too? I know on social media, it sometimes feels like I'm just sending out a whole bunch of noise out on my social media feeds. And what, what is it all for? Am I just adding to the chatter and the buzz or is this doing something? Cause I don't want to just do it for the sake of doing it. And when I come back to, and I've, and I have done this where I've come back to this idea of engagement or in connection, then things have opened up my perspective has opened up. And I remember even over 10 years ago when I had my first Facebook account and you remember, and it had the little box that said dot, dot, dot is feeling today or something. It had a little tag in there to oh, help yeah. you think yeah. of what yeah. to put in the box. And I was like, oh, this is driving me crazy. So I started putting out if questions every couple of days, every day and throwing them out. And I thought, I want to build community here. And I really want to engage with my Facebook friends in a way that I get to know them better because I don't really know a lot of the people that are on here. There are more, um, uh, more acquaintances and people that I've met through courses and community groups. So that was a really lovely way for me to, to connect. So if, to come back to this idea of, of what he said about our work resonating with at least one other person, it's that idea of how can I look at sharing my work as that, that connecting with at least one person and then who is that person? So you said one thing that really jumped out at me. You conflated marketing with selling and they are actually two different things. Okay. Marketing is connection. There you go. <laughs> so we'll talk about wow. selling in another episode. <laughs> I'm not really a salesperson or a sales trainer, but I, you know, I know a little bit about, it. I can share about it. Selling, selling is asking the question. Do you want to own this, right? It's that question, right? Do you want to buy this? Do you, do you, it, does this interest you? Marketing is about letting people know you're there. It's, okay. it's getting your story out there. It's saying who you are. It's connecting with people. You're absolutely right that it changed that word to connection. That's what marketing is. You just want to let people know you're there. You want to tell them a bit of your story. And I, back in the day when I was a, a business coach, that was the thing I really honed in on was the idea of story and the science behind it and how story helps people understand what it is you do, but also see themselves as part of your story. Mm. So if I'm creating a piece of art, that's telling a story about something that I love the way the water sparkles with the sunshine on it and that type of thing. And that's the story I want to tell. There's going to be other people out there who love that as well. And will recognize it. And there's scientific proof around this whole story idea that there's a connection hormone that we have. It's called the love hormone, oxytocin. And when we recognize people that are like us, I shouldn't say, and I, that's not quite how I want to put it, but that we have something in common, oxytocin starts to be generated. And we, start, we have warm feelings towards that person. They've even proven oxytocin happens in pets, dogs particularly. There's an MRI test that was done there. You can go... Google these things, there is a lot of, there's a lot of studies on these that was done that said when they put people inside an MRI machine and they would give them facts and figures, 
and nothing would light up in their brain. It was just, you know, just regular old stuff. But when they told them a story, you would see the parts of their brains light up that would connect to the story. So a thunder booms and, and they would, there'd be the auditory part of their brain would light up or that type of thing. So there's a physical reaction to story as well. And that's why I think story in our art, whether it's visual art, dance, music, whatever it speaks to that person is so important because what we want is that connection that we're talking about. Mm. And that itself is even part of the marketing that we do. So it's telling people we're here, letting people know we're here, showing people what it is we're, we're telling and making that connection with them. I think your play was a great example of that. When you talked about um, the, remembering the times on the back porch with your older female relatives, I immediately went back in my mind to in being in the kitchen after Thanksgiving dinner and all the aunties and my grandma and my mom in there cleaning up and telling stories about the family and how much I at the time didn't realize, but how much I now treasure those things. So that was a story that I recognized and it made me long to hear your play. So that was an example of how that would work. I love that. And it, it really brings me back to the word that he used resonance. And th that is how you create resonance is you create it through through story. And I I love that we've come to this with such different ways of thinking, because I really went in with my head a lot with engagement with okay, let's connect that way. And I love how you have brought the heart into this through the storytelling. And that's not something that I, I would have thought of even though we read the same article. And so that's just a real, a real gift. And so, you know, here we are, we're making, we start by making a connection to each other. And that's kind of what, what you said is how we've started off with our, with our podcast. And I've already learned so much from you already. I, I can't wait to see, you know, over the next year, even kind of what, what that turns into and how that materializes just in our own world. But now we're at a place where we've got a rhythm. We understand a little bit more about the structure of each show and what we're doing and um, how we can make connections to things like these articles. We would really love to hear from listeners about any connections that they're making and then how, how that is spiraling out because we, we want this to be a community. And, and that's his big second point, isn't it? Is he says collaboration is how creative communities take shape. Um, he says it involves competition. Uh, most creative work, the scholar Michael Farrell has argued, happens as a result of collaboration and most of history's key scientific, artistic and entrepreneurial breakthroughs can be credited to small groups that have spurred each other on in their work and Farrell calls these collaborative circles. So how do you see connecting to other creative people and networking helping to build that audience? I do this all the time. I belong to a number of art groups, both online and off. And I joined an international art quilting group, arts, it, it's called Sequa Studio Art Quilts Association, specifically to learn from these people that are, you know, known, names are known worldwide. And I get to hang out with them, even if it's sometimes it's just online, but, you know, I've created some Facebook friendships with them. And I attend events like critiques that they have to hear what it's being said, what is, what are people looking at, um, and to let the ideas presented trigger my own creative leaps. So if I didn't go to those things, I'm creating in a vacuum. I'm just, oh yeah, I think this would look good and trying it. And so to me, you need those other creative people to kind of rub up against, to learn new ideas, to create a little friction and to challenge what I'm thinking. 
so that I can grow as an artist. And I'm looking back at our last episode, which was about, again, about the creative genealogy. Those are also connections and collaborations, even though it might be with an artist that is long gone from this world, I can still collaborate with them by learning from them. I had a little problem when he said that competition was their thing. I know I, I, there's studies done that say that's a more male-oriented viewpoint of the world. And for, for women, it's cooperation. So I'm wondering if that comes in here and I may be all wet about that. But I, I don't go out there to compete with the other artists. I go out to learn from them. And maybe that's also a Karita Kent influence now because what she said about yeah. pull everything you can out of your teachers, which I think comes into this as well. But that's interesting I really that, that, believe, that yeah. competition word stood out for you. And I, I was thinking of it more around, you know, I'm going to use an analogy of basketball. Like if I'm learning how to play basketball and I always play with basketball players that are better than me, I'm going to become a better player. And I guess that's mm. how I saw it was how if you surround yourself with uh, the, the people who are doing the work that interests you, it's going to push me to do a little bit more, it's, it's kind of nice. I like, I like being a small fish in a big pond because there's just so many more people for me to learn from. And that spurs me on and not in a way to win. I'm not looking for a win or to compete in that sort of way, but in that way of that gives me just so many more chances to see what's possible. And maybe my work as a, as a school principal, sometimes, you know, where I'm in that position of supposed power <laughs> you know you, you kind of look out and I, I you don't get a lot of interactions with other principals it's it's rare especially during the pandemic we're not we're having online meetings and mm -hmm. things but you don't get to have those sidebar conversations there's not as many trainings as there used to be and so it's very easy to get stuck in thinking what I think is the right thing and the way I want to do it is the right way but sometimes when when you do have those opportunities to connect and I am around other principles. I, I can see things from another perspective and move from being the mouse all down there, seeing what's right in front of me to flying out to be that hawk to see, oh, wow, okay, I only saw it this way. There's all these other ways. So for me, that was the real value in, in having that little bit of competition. And again, not looking, it's just win-win for everyone, but within that collaborative structure, because I love connecting with people in the community. I really appreciate that different viewpoint because for me, when I saw competition, it was like, okay, first prize, second prize, third prize. But what you're bringing to that idea is it's competition that forces me to be better than I was before because I can see what's possible. And I do like that, that idea and I, I, will, I will take that on then. Yes, it's about competition then. <laughs> about that, that whole, about becoming bigger and better than what we, we could if we stayed on our own. Yeah, you know, we get a different see, viewpoint that, as you mentioned, yeah. Yeah, there we've helped each other. You helped me understand marketing is not sales. And <laughs> and then I, because I- And I that. understand competition isn't about beating somebody. <laughs> no, no, oh my gosh. But the other thing I love about being in a collaborative arts community, and whether that's doing, focusing on creating a play or in a choir, or, um, you know, sometimes it's taking an art class, or it might be in a writing group. I've had all these wonderful experiences, is I love the structure that it adds. And maybe that's something with working. But I think even when I've had time off, and I think, oh, this is great. I have a whole week off, like say on the spring break, I'm going to create every day. I didn't have structure in place 
place. And so it became hard. A lot of that turned into binge watching television. So the structure can add a lot of help too. And sometimes if there's deadlines, if you're exchanging work with each other, or you have to have a piece that you turn in, I find that that's helpful just to have that little bit of, you got to show up and be somewhere. Um, and then it, of course it leads to more ideas, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking back to the Pixar series that you and I watched and, mm. and how it was all set up for collaboration. And even right down to where they ate was set up so that people could meet and collaborate and talk and spaces where they could get together. And I'd be interesting when this is COVID thing is all over, what impact that inability to gather had on creativity and innovation in businesses. Yeah. Because I do think we need we need that, like we managed to get it with Zoom, but imagine if you were able to sit here with me in my studio and we were looking out on the bay and, and talking these ideas over, would there be something bigger and more brought to it simply because of the shared energy in a shared space? Don't know, it would be really interesting. I just wanted just to add on to your thinking there that uh, okay. we see more and more businesses that are exploring those conditions for creativity, right? And setting those pieces yeah. up. It's exciting. And yeah, I just wanted to, <laughs> to jump in because that idea oh, no, does really it is exciting. get that energy, energy from each other, right? And ideas. Yeah. And I think it is exciting to see businesses value creativity more now. Yeah. The ones that were all stuck in the, the rut kind of thing. I think they're going to fall to the wayside because as human beings, we're looking for those more collaborative, creative spaces. They feel more natural to us rather than being stuck in a cubicle and not seeing the person working next to you all day long because you're stuck on the phone in front of a screen all day. We get, like you said, we get energy from each other and businesses need that just as much as we do as artists. Well, I was going to say, that's why we want to hear from our listeners more because we want their energy in this this conversation as well. So please, please leave us comments, questions, anything so that we can start to feel like we're collaborating with each other. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe we should talk about putting a Facebook group together where people can jump on and have con continue these conversations with us. So that's something you and I'll look at, Jessica. And if we do, we'll announce it here first. Absolutely. Well, we do have a Facebook page, so people could definitely start there. So let's, let's move on to the third reason that for helping us or the third point he made about helping find an audience and it was empathy which i found really an interesting word for him to use here for empathy connecting to your audience understanding where they are he said marketing's about building community all artistic output demands an audience but it takes the right person to serve that audience so which to me says you need to find the audience you can most empathize with first and that's how you find your ideal client, as, as marketing terms would put it. Who is it that you understand and they understand you? Who gets you, right? And that's where you would find them. I think when I ever hear this talk about find your ideal client, define them and write it all down, and we're trying to pull it out of thin air instead of looking around and saying, who gets me? Who gets this stuff? Who, who understands what I'm doing? And start with that. It's like the ideal reader. Find one person that you want to write to and write to them. And then the rest of the audience will find you, right? Anyways, I'm kind of going off on a riff again. I want to hear what I you have it. to say about this one. <laughs> well, you know, and like similar to you, I've heard that, you know, before you need to imagine the person reading your book right down to what pajamas they are wearing. And again, I, I find that 
being that specific is challenging for me because we go back, like, like these ideas all overflow. I need to go back to, okay, well, what am I trying to say? What form do I feel that I need to use for this? And then once I'm in that revision space, how can this creative work be of service to others? Is there a need that it can fill? And how do I see it making a contribution? So that's when I shift it from being about me to being about others. And that empathy piece, you know, if I think about it in terms of our podcast, um, we're now in that that space of being able to shift it to be about others. Uh, what is it that we understand about our listeners? And I know that we are thinking... Ch- began with a very open, broad, this is for everybody. This is for anybody who's not creative, who is creative. And then we tried to link things outside of the arts. Then we realized we just kept falling back into the arts. And so now I think, you know, sometimes we dip our toe outside of the arts, just organically and naturally. But for the most part, we're looking at other I think, and maybe you have a different opinion, yep. but other arts enthusiasts like us who want yep. to lead more creative lives, who want to reflect on who they are, what their art is, what what they're trying to serve. And I really think that we're still looking at ourselves and our friends <laughs> and, and friends we know and don't know, right? Like the people that, yes. we, you know, by friends, we don't need to know you, but they're the people that, you know, we're the kindred spirits who are also engaging oh, I like in these that types, word. Yeah. types of conversations. Yeah. yeah. What, what, are, what yeah. are your thoughts? Oh, I totally agree. When we started, it was like, oh, creativity is for everyone, which it is, but the people that are asking the questions are the people that are in the creative mix. You know, they're, they're trying to do it They're or they are doing it. I shouldn't say trying, they are doing it and coming up with questions and wondering, how do I get past this fear? How do I build a business? How do I, whatever. And they're the people that are in the creative community that you and I would recognize if we were to step out our doors and say, Hey, you know, let's, let's have a group here that would, we would be attracting the artists and the writers and, musicians oh i had actually a little sidebar here we had friends here the other night for dinner he's a musician he's a professional musician he teaches music and he used to teach in um high school as well fabulous trumpeter he'll know who it is when as soon as he hears this because he listens to our podcast all the time (laughs) wonderful and we had this great conversation about fear that stemmed from our podcast episode on fear Mm -hmm. and the difference between performing arts and the arts that you and I do, which is writing and art, you know, painting. And how does that differ from a performing art where you have to stand up in front and actually do the thing and get instant feedback on it? So we're finding that community and we're hoping that if you're in that community, please, please share the podcast and help us build that community because mm-hmm. we want a lot of voices in this. It isn't just us talking. We want to know what you want to know. You know, we want to know what your questions are. The other thing I got to think about when he was talking about empathy, and it might sound funny, I'm a big Harry Potter fan. Yeah. And Mrs. Weasley, who is always knitting for the kids, <laughs> knits these god awful <laughs> sweaters and jackets and things like that. And her kids all smile and accept it because they love their mom, but she hasn't got a clue what it is they want. She's mm-hmm. just knitting this stuff and making it. And it made me think about that idea of empathy and understanding what people are looking for from us. You know, there was, I, so I went in and I did a little bit of research on empathy and some of the examples of empathetic responses is to acknowledge how the other person feels or what they want more of, how they want to feel after a performance or after reading your work. That's an acknowledgement of that. 
And then it's also about sharing how you feel. So that's bringing yourself to this creation. It's not just doing it because you want to sell it. It's doing it because it's, it's important to you. There's something in there that you want to say. I also like that it was to show gratitude that the person opened up. And to me, that's in this context, it's sharing. If they share how your art makes them feel, show gratitude for that because they're giving you some definite feedback, something that you really want to know because that's why you made it in the first place. How am I going to impact someone else? And then finally, they said, show interest, which it was to me is listen to learn from that other person and not to sell to the other person, which is mm. that marketing piece, you know, listen to learn from other people. When I teach, I have a, I do still do um, corporate training about communications. And one of the things I teach is a thing called the trust equation. And if we're going to get deeper into marketing, this is a big piece of it. And it's in a book by Stephen Covey, not Dr. Stephen Covey, but his son. And it's called The um, Speed of Trust. Brilliant book. And it applies to everything in our life. I, it's a business book, but I highly recommend getting it. And he breaks trust down into a formula. The first part is character. And the second part is competence. And I think to keep marketing from feeling spammy, we need to internalize this formula and understand we have to meet it so that people feel comfortable with us. So character is about integrity. Do you do what you say you're going to do? Do you walk the talk and your intention? Am I creating this art just because I want to separate you from your money? Or am I creating this art because I want to connect to you? So that's character. Intention is to have the good intentions for both of us, not just for myself. And the confidence piece is, do I have the capabilities and can I produce the results? And I think this is where the learning comes into that you and I talked about earlier, that there's a time for us to be working in our sketchbooks and writing pieces that don't go anywhere and everything else, because we're building capabilities in order to show that eventually we can produce results. I know I read an interesting thing this week about somebody was saying about buying online, art online, and how disappointed they were when they bought a piece and it showed up on their doorstep. The colors weren't the same as what they had seen. It was done on cheap dollar store materials mm -hmm. with craft paints, and they were oh. very disappointed. So yeah. those results are big time. Do you, mm -hmm. I don't think they'll ever buy from that artist again, no matter what, how good they get, because they broke trust. So that's part of empathy, I think, is understanding what it takes to have people trust you and then living into that. Lots there. <laughs> yes, my gosh. I really love the experience that you bring to this and the lens and that integrity piece is important on an output kind of way, but also in terms of just even working through the work. And I'm currently reading Martha Beck's new book on integrity, and she describes it as, you know, the what you're doing being authentically aligned with who you are and how you spend your time. So I think too, when you look at the, your, your trust equation, that what I, it made me think of, you know, the intent of the work, but the integrity is also that authenticity. Is this coming from a true place within you as well? And because people can really get, can tell that, right. Yeah. And that, that, yeah. that's what light th lights people up. And I know that even in our conversation, if we look at our podcast as a, as a product of something, I don't know, but you know, there are moments where I get goosebumps when you talk because you've hit that point of truth for me, that resonance has mm. happened. I feel the connection in what you're expressing that works for you and where, where I am. So um, yeah. really cool stuff. So our big question today was how do we build an audience for our work? So let's come back to our, our big question. Do you feel we've, we've answered it? Are there any more pieces to that we want to look at? 
I think it's all of the stuff that we've talked about and you got to put your work out there. You've got to be willing to be seen. And that includes writing an artist statement, creating a biography, doing an about page on your website, tell stories on social media about what you created and why you created it. All of those things together, because that's what we're kind of limited to in this lockdown time. What's even more powerful is when you can get face-to-face with people and they can get to know you as a person. And so when that when you're able to do that, take advantage of that because that that's the most powerful piece of it is letting people see you for who you are as a creative person. And I think we mentioned a couple of times in episodes, if somebody asks what you do, don't say to them, I'm a bookkeeper, I'm a doctor, I'm a whatever. Don't identify yourself as your profession if you want to build your creative side. Always tell them, I'm a poet, I'm a writer, I'm an artist, I'm a musician. That's the only way they'll know how to help you. And it opens up a totally different story about who you are as a person than if you identify by your profession. Wonderful. Great advice, April. So on our playlist today, we have a link to the article that we use to inspire our conversation, which is three reasons why your creative work needs an audience. And April's added some wonderful links to some of the research that she did. I also did, um, I found when I was going through my own work that I had a recorded webinar that I did a long time ago about story. Now it's a business oriented one, which means it has a marketing piece to it. And I'm going to try to load that up somewhere and do a link to that. So I'm hoping that will also show up in our playlist. And I will include a link to this book, The Speed of Trust, because you know, that's just such a powerful book. And I remember reading it and turning to my husband saying, this is everything in our lives. This is where we go to school. It's where we worship. It's where we do business. It's this touches everything, this idea of trust. And so as artists, it's a big piece of what we do too. Wonderful. And on that idea of story, I think our next episode, we're going to go deeper into just the idea of story and how we can use story and story structure in our arts as part of the creations instead of we just talked about it through the marketing lens. Now let's take it into what we're creating and the role that story plays. Boy, you're really going to challenge me on that one because I remember thinking, okay, so I know I I think of story when I'm creating, but how do I actually use it? So now you're going to challenge me and I got to really think about this one because I want to bring some value to people that are to our listeners on this one. So yay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's we're learning. Yay. <laughs> we're learning. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much, everyone. See you next time. Take care, everyone. This is April Lee at the end of episode 14. And while I know a lot of you are very interested in the sales part, if you're trying to build a business, because nothing happens without a sale, you still need to learn how to market with people. And I do like the way Jessica said, let's change that word to connecting with people, because that's really what you're doing. You're building a community, you're creating connections, you're trying to find the commonalities between you and the people who are looking at what it is that you are creating. What is it they're looking for that you love to do? That's your commonality there. Tell your story, tell your story about why you do it. Let your your creation tell its own story and then become a person that is is approachable and build your community first. You can't go right for the sales. That's when you get the spammy stuff that people are uncomfortable with. Take some time to build relationships and you'll find it works like magic in your business. We'll talk to you again next week. Take care. Bye-bye.
You can find more podcast episodes and today's playlist at thehummingbirdpodcast.com. And you can learn more about our creative work at our individual websites. So you can learn more about me, Jessica, at sunshineinajar.com and more about April at aprilyjanes.com, A-P-R-I-L-L-E-J-A-N is in November, E-S.com. If you have any hummingbird questions for us to explore, we invite you to let us know. At thehummingbirdpodcast.com.